Hello everyone, welcome to the first episode in our new series of The Inside Perspective. Lauren Kress here and I have the honour of introducing you to the first episode in our brand new season. So I'm very excited. We did start this podcast a while back and we got some pretty positive response responses, but uh, we did take a bit of a break uh, and Elizabeth and I had a chat earlier this year and decided that we wanted to continue um, the podcast and we're really focusing on taking that closer look, that inside look at all things health and wellness. And our ultimate goal is to really help people have happier, healthier families and happier, healthier lives. What we're doing this season, it's really exciting is we're speaking with expert guests from around the world. And in this first episode, we speak with Sean Healy. Now, Sean is a fascinating guy. He's an expert in people dynamics. And as an NLP practitioner and an executive coach, he really brings that sort of different perspective on how to think about you know, our, our well-being as parents, as we're raising our children. It's really interesting to hear the way he and Elizabeth talk about the importance of, you know, really getting to know yourself in order to be the best parent you can be and to really foster and nurture your child. It's also really interesting, Sean talks about uh, being a father and that sort of that typical role uh, that men have, you know, in the past been led to believe they they need to take on as sort of the provider and and the problems with that and the opportunities that many fathers miss out on as a result of sort of believing this this myth that we have out there around you know traditional gender roles. So a fascinating discussion. Really looking forward to hearing what you guys think about this episode. Um, and if you'd like to find out more about us, head to lifeontheinside.com.au. We're actually in the process of redoing the website, which I'm very excited about. I'm actually working on the website. I am not a health expert, but I uh, do love to build websites and I love working with healthcare professionals. As many of you know, Elizabeth Mucci is also my mother. So this is a mother-daughter podcast and uh my mum is obviously one of my my favourite clients. If you want to find out more about Sean, head to emergencetraining.com.au. He's got some great resources there. Sean is also um, the host of his own podcast called Tools. He's got 81 episodes on his website at the moment. Highly recommend checking that out as well. But without further ado, let's crack on with today's episode. Just before we get on to that uh, if you haven't subscribed to our podcast and you like what we're about, please do uh, subscribe and please also share this with your friends, your loved ones, the people that you know uh, these episodes really will make a difference to and help people to or help the people you love to live a happier and healthier life with their families. Really appreciate your support and I hope you enjoy this episode. Sean Healy is an executive coach working in people dynamics and he's interested in helping people improve their personal and their business life. Sean, thank you so much for joining us on the Inside Perspective. Really excited 
to hear more about you and what you do and also to hear you guys talk a little bit about parenting and sort of you know helping to raise amazing children so um to start with can you just tell us a little bit about your area of expertise a little bit more about people dynamics and, and what that means sure so uh thanks lauren thanks elizabeth really uh, appreciate being uh invited on and looking forward to the conversation. Um, I, I, I guess, uh, you know, my, my interest stems from um, all, all my life I've wanted to connect with people. I've had certain goals and dreams and um, certainly in the early stages of my life, I, I would consider that I failed miserably at that kind of process. So um, I got in with a bad crowd. I had low self-esteem, which I soothed with uh, alcohol and I was watching other people get along really well in life and, and achieve their dreams and create success and have good relationships. And, and I found that I, I really sort of struggled. So that, that was where I became kind of very interested in, well, you know, how do we create relationships? What make relationships work? Because I desperately wanted to have a good relationship, um, both in terms of my, my, my friendships um, and, and also a personal relationship. But I despite that good intention, everything just seemed to uh, always end up in a, um, a screaming heap, so to speak. So that's where I sort of became very interested in, in kind of looking at people who've been successful, both in terms of coaches and mentors. Um, and then that was fortunately led me later in life to be exposed to sports people, people in the military, um, successful executives. And I just kind of thought, well, if I keep looking at what people do that works and try to do my best to emulate that, then um, life will work out. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. And I guess like, you know, to, to kind of talk a little bit more about, um, you know, where, where you kind of went to um, from there. And obviously Elizabeth interested in your perspective as well, but, you know, I think so much of the time what we, you know, where we start from, you know, our kind of origin story, it informs so much of like our, you know, later life and what we, what we do. So for you, did you have other sort of careers before you ended up where you are now? What was sort of your professional pathway? Yes, I, I ended up, um, I had a lot of weight issues when I was young um, uh, and that periodically has daunted me all my life. Um, but uh, I ended up becoming a personal trainer and owning a fitness centre um, and in particular specialising in tra training misfitness models. Um, and what became very interesting to me, I had 14, 15 odd staff and, and just how differently people went about their work day and how some people seemed to just have an attitude that clicked with people and they could get results and others were just terrible <laughs> um, you know they wanted to build a business but their people skills their emotional IQ was very limited um, and then also amongst my clientele you know people just thought radically differently and approached exercise very very differently mm. um, and my idea coming from being someone extremely overweight and wanting to help people with their self-esteem um, what I tended to find and I and I and I think it's a generalization I certainly wouldn't say this about everybody but it seemed to be that, that there was a, a kind of a swing when, when body fat percentages got down below 10%. Um, ironically, 
you know, people's self-esteem actually suffered. Um, I, I found that people became more and more fragile in their self-esteem and more and more fixated on the kind of external attention they were getting. Um, and that led to some very extreme behaviours. And I was exactly the same. Um, in, in those days, I took steroids. I walked around in skin-tight tops. You, you couldn't find enough reflective surfaces for me to look in. Uh, <laughs> and, and everything was based on who, who was looking. Um, and, and so from that perspective and finding that that kind of what seemed to be something that was very aspirational uh, actually didn't fill the emptiness. Um, if anything, in some ways, sort of made it kind of worse. Um, and that was where I really started to get very, very curious um, and started to look further in terms of, well, I need to know more about how people think because it was becoming quite evident to me that, that I was now more a part of the problem than the actual solution. Um, so I became very, very disillusioned. At, you know, I'd started out with a good intent to help people and, and to help people feel better about themselves. Um, and, and then mostly I found that um, in, in many cases, we were creating actually very fragile, so the people, myself included. And, and that's where I started to, to look at, um, you know, what was available in terms of psychology, in terms of personality profiling, in terms of things like um, NLP and other kinds of success paradigms. Um, and then, you know, 20 plus years later, he, here we sort of are. <laughs> Well, I'm really interested in, you know, kind of the patient journey. And as you were talking, I was thinking about your practice as well, Elizabeth, in that, uh, you know, we kind of, I think you kind of see this in the fertility space where, you know, and I'm curious, like people, you know, seek to start a family and often they've been struggling with it in the same way that you might have people struggling with being overweight or, you know, whatever that struggle is. And then once they actually, you know, achieve pregnancy or they become a parent, do you find that they then have a whole new set of problems that they're kind of dealing with personally in their, mm. in their mindset? Definitely. So a lot of the time, I think a lot of this is stemming from, and, and I don't know, definitely agree, Sean, it's sort of, it, it's all in that search, you know, people are searching to sort of fill this void, this emptiness within. Um, and unless they really deal with that, it's just going to be a new topic that they bring that emptiness to. And so when people are looking to be a parent, it's even more important to me because they'll just pass and repeat that same sort of behaviour and patterns uh, with their children and can do quite a lot of damage. It's hard enough as it is even in the most whole person to parent. Um, and it will depend on the characters that you're dealing with. Um, and I suppose, you know, um, there's that real compassion on yourself as well and not be hard on yourself. And because if you keep identifying with things like, say, with the body image or which is great to be really fit, that's fantastic. Where it, it's it, that imbalance of you're identifying with a body type and which is why then you start looking at all the reflections. That's where it becomes a danger instead of, no, I don't care really too much about what I look like as in a sense of is that muscle exactly balanced with that other muscle or whatever but it's more the sense that I'm actually um, able to be strong physically so that I can live a happier healthier life and in that what does that mean to you and it's the same thing as being the best parent that you can be and the best daughter and the best partner or whatever I think all of that is about just filling that void within getting to know who you really are 
and then whatever and just being honest with that and being curious on how you can sort of deal with that and different tools that you can bring on to deal with those issues and then your pursuit in being the best version of yourself you know often i'll say to people we, we are made up of three people the, the person that people think that we are the person that we think we are but the person we actually are and when those three are together then we are living our true authentic life because people are seeing who we actually are and we know who we actually are and i think when you bring that person everywhere with you whatever happens in that moment you're very sure about because you know yourself so well your yes is yes your no is no you're not doubting yourself all the time you know and whatever you've thought about whatever your action's going to be and i think that's a much more grounded place to sort of be and it just depends on what your background is and what tools you've taken you know you've been given from your own parents um, from their example and also from their teaching their disciplining and stuff like that um, some people don't really you know know how to parent some people are helicopter parents and some people are sort of letting their kids roam the streets and think that they'll learn from themselves and they've all got different techniques um, and you know uh, you'll have people that are bringing all their issues into parenting which might be their depression their anxiety uh, their carelessness their fears um, and then what that does to this blank slate this person that you've taken on and, and um, have such a privilege to have a chance to raise them you know so I think it is it's more about a balanced way of thinking but how do you achieve that um, one person might need a lot of you know um, handheld sort of you know um, care and some person could hear a really inspirational speech and like goes off and you know really goes with it it's, it's an interesting because you're dealing with all the individuals have you found that yourself Sean yeah absolutely I I very much resonate with saying in the sense that you know and the thing that I sort of um, add that sits in line with that is you, you know we when, when parents are seeing the child, um, for example, um, you, you know, one, one client. Now, the, the, the guy turned out fine. He's the CEO of a, a very well-known Australian corporation, so I won't use the name. Um, but, but his childhood consisted of very few boundaries. And even at 12 and 13 years of age, he would come home at 4 o'clock in the morning and nobody would bat an eyelid. Um, and he is so desperate to not... Uh, give that child that life to his, his in particular his son that he has swung completely in the polarity and is stunningly rigid and controlling um, and it's kind of like well your son is not you and did you really turn out that badly you're a you're a good guy and you're successful um, but but when we can't when we're seeing through the lens of our past and and we're parenting through our unresolved childhood um, dilemmas, we, we really aren't, we, as you say, we're, we're not there with the authentic person. We're not there with the authentic child and giving them what they need rather than trying to parent from an overcompensation from my um, unresolved childhood wounding. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like, um, I just was thinking as you were saying that, you know, like parenting from what you know from your childhood like is that something that and i mean i'm very naive like i'm not a parent but i'm thinking about people who might be listening to this who either want to be parents or are you know new parents you know what are some of the 
practical, like you talk, both mentioned tools, what are some of the practical things that people can do, that parents can do um, to make sure that they're not parenting from that place, they're not parenting from the past? Maybe, um, Sean, do you want to answer? Yeah, that? sure. I, I, I think, you know, probably to just add in the extra layer of complexity that the parenting generation faces, this present parenting generation faces that we've never had before in our species. You know, uh, tr traditionally, there's been a fairly linear line of uh, hand down of wisdom. You, you know, we are exposed to a very small group of people um, for, a, for a fair continuum before the rest of the world got their hands on us. You, you know, mum, dad, grandparents, that are, the problem that we have now that's changed the game completely is, of course, the internet. So my tribe, you know, I'm exposed to global influences from a very, very young age. Um, and, and so, you know, the, the number one thing that I sort of talk to parents about is you, you have to build the bond with your child and continue to regularly check in on it like never before because you haven't had to compete. Um, because, one, you know, a, a child has a, a limited attachment style and it can be very all or nothing. That's where you see a toddler will grab onto mum and dad and even if an uncle or auntie comes, they go, no, you know, um, and, and again, that's just a biological process. We, you know, the, the child is just doing, you know, that's, that's a developmental stage. That's not even in the child's conscious control. But, but what we're sort of seeing now is if, if children break off prematurely and form, you know, now I'm only interested in my other 12 or 13 year old buddies, um, and, and it becomes a, a very quickly, a very fractured all or nothing. So suddenly my parents are completely out in the cold or my family's completely out in the cold. It becomes very, very difficult to recover the relationship and parent from that place. So, um, and it is very demanding. I absolutely get that in our modern society, but we have to be spending just individual time with our children um, and, and, and really making sure you, you know, that, that we're that demonstration of their importance throughout time. I, I don't know what, how that sort of sits with you, Elizabeth, or what, yeah, what you'd have I agree a hundred percent. That's um, something that I know I love about our culture. I'm Italian. I've got an Italian background and um, sorry for us, family means everything. Um, we do a lot with family. Uh, we sit around a table and eat our dinner together. Um, we'll play board games every couple of weeks. Um, there's a lot of... We'll do podcasts we'll together. Do <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but from the time they're very little, I think for us, it's, um, we live by, try anyway, I know in my family we do, we try and live by example. Um, and so we're our children's mentor from a really young age and uh, make it so that they can tell us anything as much as we can. Um, and so even though, yes, I've found it, you know, my two younger children, um, especially, obviously, uh, my daughter's 20 and my son's 15, um, and they are well and truly in this internet world. Um, it's interesting to sort of see how even though, and I have not been somebody that's, you know, had the computer only in the lounge room and police them. I haven't done that sort of thing, um, but they're just too busy. They're quite sporty kids. Um, they are very um, outgoing. I can see from their nature, they have quite, um, they're quite, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're leaders in their own right. 
um, which is great. I've been lucky that way. They're not troubled children um, so much so uh, that, you know, they're often helping their friends through problems and things like that. And so that's, that's great. But it's just, I know that it had, it did add a whole different level of challenges to me um, knowing that now they could be exposed and obviously were exposed, I mean, to a whole heap of things that they wouldn't have been and my two older children weren't. And so very quickly, within about a seven-year period, it changed everything. But I think, yeah, I, I think if you're, you're the voice that they check in on as well to go, you know, all this stuff's happening, what do you think about this? Because they care about what you say because you're not you know, you're not a, a person that just jumps down their throat and, and belittles them for asking a question. You know, I've often said to the kids, you know, curiosity, you can tell me whatever you want. In the end, it's just you being exposed to things and trying to work things out. And that's just all about, you know, um, what, the more you can be exposed to as far as, you know, mean people, happy, you know, you don't want to be sheltered so that then you go into an adult life and you can't cope. You're, you're trying to build resilience in your children. But it's just more as they're little, if you can help them, watch them sort of really struggle through things and just give them a little hand here and there, then they know you've always been there. And as time goes on and they're exposed to all this stuff, hopefully they check in on you and tell you about something shocking they saw on the internet or some story. And, and you know, wherever you can see a little lesson, that's what I've always done anyway. Um, even in movies or news or whatever, you know, we've had a bit of a chat how they feel about something and how do they think the other person would feel in this situation. I've tried to, you know, the tools that I have focused on more than anything is empathy and resilience and um, honouring themselves, you know, not just doing whatever somebody else does, but just being really true to themselves and that they will continually change with more exposure and um, and just constantly learn. I hope I learn right up to my deathbed. You know, I want to be learning right to the very end and just being curious to being the best person that I am. And I think that's what I've tried to sort of do with the kids. I, I don't know. What do you think, Sean? Same, you know. Yeah, uh, I, I think so. I, you know, what it sort of triggers for me. I, I guess you know what one of the, the things that um, like. I, I don't have my own biological kids, um, but I was a stepdad for, for a long, long time. Um, and, um, you know, based off my role model, mine, half my family, my adopted family is Italian as well. So, you know, saying we've got the giant family that gets together every single Christmas and has from, from day dot and, and three or four generations. Um, and, you know, I, I moved away from that for a long, long time in kind of my rebellious early 20s stage, uh, almost resented that. But, but then it, it was a, a real safe place and a continuum to eventually come back to. Um, but I, I, I found when I was married, I, I fell very much into, you know, again, when, we, when there's things that we have picked up and we've... we've role modelled from our family system that we weren't so aware of. Um, I'm very different um, from a personality perspective to my parents, but I can't believe how much um, I just went on autopilot in my marriage and just focused on being the provider. Um, yeah. I fell very much into that traditional male role where I worked 70, 75 hours a week, and then I was fixated on the lawn and keeping the leaves out of the pool. And all the time, these beautiful young children were there who just wanted my time and attention. Um, 
So I speak firsthand from the perspective of I didn't spend enough time in the nurturer role and I've paid the price. I was not able, it, the, the bond wasn't strong enough that once the marriage dissolved, as much as I wanted to keep the children in my life and, and I understand grief and people deal with, with the, the resolution of this. So I have nothing on that whatsoever, except, you know, the fact that I could have done so much more um, with these, you know, with the time that I had with these beautiful little people. And I, and I know a lot of men tend to almost fall into a role where they over-function at work and under-function at the, under, you know, under the home roof. Um, and, and uh, you, you know, that, that's something that we're going to be confronted with in a very significant way pretty soon. I mean, because for a long time, women have been forced into juggling the provider and the nurturer role since pretty much World War II. Um, you know, whereas when, when women went into the, the workforce, into the provider role, men never compensated and set the balance back by going into the home and becoming nurturers. Um, but we're getting to a point where that's, you know, that's not tolerable. And we can see that just in, you know, the resolution of marriage these days. You know, one in every two marriages um, ends in, in divorce and, and the failure rate's even higher for second relationships. It's something like, 60 plus percent um, because you, you know we're, we're not we're not satisfied to just sit in the stability or the provider kind of kind of role the, you, you know and, and for me I'm talking a lot to men about you you have to reset the balance you have to come back and, and embrace your nurturer and and your children want you you know I, a lot of executives I talk to now who've just same just gone to sleep so to speak and gone straight into that provider role. And you ask them, what would you have wanted in your childhood? I would have loved to have spent more time with my dad. Yeah. 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 Um, so I, I, I think, you know, we, we have to be, we have to be able to kind of, you know, you know, get better at sharing both sides of the, uh, of the, of, of both the provider and the nurturer element um, going forward. So, you know, because it's still the case, um, where, where, where women will run the house. You know, I was a very, you know, I suppose helpful kind of husband in the sense that, you know, I did the washing and I did all those things, but I wasn't carrying the mental responsibility for the household. Mm -hmm. um, if I, I didn't know when the kids had parent teacher interviews, I didn't know we were out of peanut butter. You know, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm helpful, but I'm still relying on my partner to, to carry the mental load of the home. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so that women are, are basically the CEO in their professional lives and then also expected to still be a, take the CEO role in the home. Um, and, and at some stage, you, you know, either we reset that balance or, or men are going to be in for a huge shock if, because at some point we are going to find that, the, the, you know, it, it tips and all of a sudden men are going, hang on a minute, 60% of women are CEOs and only 40% are men. Uh, you, you know, <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's it's it, it's it cannot not happen. I, you know, when I'm looking at kind of the trends, unless men start to adjust, because you know we are suffering, we're missing out on on our families, and we, you know, and you see that when people get ill, suddenly we 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 radically reprioritize. You know, I I, I I've got to work seventy hours a week, but but I find you in hospital and everything drops. Um, and, and why are we waiting for those moments to, to really get clear on what it's about and give me three months and I'll be back to what I did before anyway. Um, so I, you know, I, I, I'm not saying it's easy, but I, I do think that, you know, we have to get better 
as as parents in really genuinely sharing the space. Mm, that's what I was going to say. Is that that, that genuine? Because you know, in the end, if you're not really working on yourself as a person, um, you could be horrible to spend time with. <laughs> so therefore, you know, it's like all the kids want to do is get away from their parents because, you know, they're maybe drunks or um, all they do is sit in front of a TV, but they're saying, you know, come and spend time with me, but they're really saying, come and sit with me and watch TV. You know, that sort of thing as well, where you might have half an hour with a very wise parent who's really there, very connected, knows exactly what you were telling them yesterday and you're continuing that story, but you were very present. And that's where I think, you know, I've often told patients, you know, it's that real presence. Be, when, you're, when you're speaking to your child, look at them in the eyes and be there. Don't think about the washing's got to go on and then I've got to ring this person um, because, yeah, you're just present physically. Um, it's more that real presence. Um, you know, my brother was really good at this where he would take each child out on a walk every week. All the kids would just go, you know, one at a time. Um, and, you know, he was great around the home and things like that. But also just in, look, you know, let's go. I'm just going to go for a walk up. But then come and talk to me. Continue that story. I really wanted to hear what happened today. And, and they're out and about and being inspired by nature and stuff at the same time. Um, but, yeah, I just think... It's more about definitely you want your, you, you want your kids to really know you. I remember facing this myself, thinking if I died tomorrow, could my children say, I really knew mum though? And I thought, well, I can't expect that from them if I don't even know myself. Mm. And, um, you know, I went through a divorce and all that sort of stuff and it, all that just was this upheaval within myself and that's when I thought I really, more than anything, really want my kids to know me and it's had to start with me knowing myself and then all the time and, and um, that I spent with them after that and the drives to sports and, you know, that was my chance. I really loved that and taking, you know, carpools with the kids and just seeing who their friends were and, you know, things like that. It takes energy. It takes effort. Definitely does. Um, you know, taking the time to go, no, we're eating to We're eating. You don't eat separate in your rooms. We eat together, you know, that sort of stuff. Definitely. And so that, you know, your kids can say, yeah, I knew my dad or I knew my mom and, really feel like you know that you know that you know they know that you know where they're at and their passions and you know their likes their dislikes who their best friend is you know and even though my parents we ate together and everything like that they they were my hard-working migrants who didn't really know what was going on with my education they sent me to a good school and thought that was their role but they didn't know what class I was in. They didn't know how well I was doing. Um, none of that sort of stuff. And that's where I thought I wanted my children to know. For me to know that, you know, for you to know that I really value education and that education gives you quite a lot of freedom. I'm going to be there excited at every step of the way through that. But again, takes a lot of time and energy and, you know, self-reflection and that sort mm. of stuff. It, it mm. sounds like a lot of what, what both of you are saying is around like, you know, intention, right? Like, and I was just thinking when you were saying, Sean, about, you know, sort of the, the, the traditional roles of parenting. And I mean, for me, having been born in like 89, I just don't get it. Like, I find it so weird when people talk about mothers versus parents, like mothers have some sort of special role or something. I'm like, yeah, there's two people in, in parenting, hopefully, um, ideally. And like, but one thing I, 
I, I've been told and I've got a few friends who work in counselling and stuff is like most people, so most new parents or parents to be don't have a conversation around roles. Like they don't actually talk about what are our intentions for what we're going to do when this child is born. And having that conversation just sounds like such an important piece of actually, like a lot of people end up shocked. Like women are going like, hang on, I'm, I'm really depressed and I want to get out. And like now I'm meant to sit here with this baby that I don't know what to do with. Or, you know, it's kind of like this, everything unravels post sort of birth or, or something like that. Yeah, I, I think, you know, sometimes where our priorities and our attention are at is very, very interesting. Like, like the whole, like, I've got nothing wrong with planning for a wedding day. No, no, no problems at all. But I find it fascinating that we can spend 12, you know, six to 12 months on one day. Yeah. When, when really we should be having some significant conversations about the marriage. Yeah, you know, because that's going to be at the end of the day when we're bringing two different cultures, you know, the culture you grew up in and the culture I grew up in. Well, okay, so how, how does your family express joy? Um, how, what's your family's view on work? Um, what, what, what are your significant celebrations? You, you, you know, so that we're often, uh, you know, I, I like the idea of the family, you know, having a, a meeting ahead of time you know so that we're not figuring out when we're in our most stressed state how to parent and discipline a child because customarily we're going to over consequence you know here, here's little jimmy on his ipad and you've gone that's the third time i've told you to put the bin out and you're still on your ipad that's it no ipad for a week you know now so we take the ipad away Jimmy reluctantly or not puts the bin out and in two days I can't hold up the balance of my consequences and I just give him the iPad back. Mm. Um, you know, because I'm, I'm kind of in that, I'm parenting in that reactive moment rather than we've got a strategy ahead of time that we've both mutually agreed upon that goes, okay, if the children aren't doing what we want and let's say the issue is around the iPad, we, we just gently and calmly say, you know, life's about consequences. And so, sorry, I've just got something bob up on the screen here that I'll get rid of without losing us, hopefully. There we go. Um, uh, and, and we're talking about, okay, well, very calmly, uh, this is not punishment so much, but life has consequences. And so we'll take the iPad until you, you fulfil your responsibility, then you can have the iPad back. Um, or, or you, you know, whatever we... But we're, we've agreed on those things well in advance. Um, or at very least, if something, you know, as a couple under stress, we inadvertently pull apart rather than pull together, then we're sitting down with each other and going, what, what happened? And, and, and next time that presents, um, how do we mitigate that? How do we find a way to come together and demonstrate, um, you know, a healthy response under stress? Because it's so important for kids to model that. Yeah. Really, really great, really great point. It's kind of, it's funny, a lot of what you guys are talking about as well, it makes me think of business. Like it makes me think of, well, you know, you can't just run a business reactively. You need a, a strategy, you need a plan. <laughs> yes. And you're so right about the wedding thing as well. Like I hadn't thought about it like that, but it is funny how people will have, you know, multiple couples will have multiple conversations about, you know, a wedding. And like you say, it makes sense, but that's one day. What about 
the the rest of your life. <laughs> no, it's interesting. Yeah, it's just that reminded me of something we used to do every um, as the kids were growing up. Every New Year's Day, we would sit around a table and everyone would have a pad out to write down um, what they wanted, what their resolutions were that year. And um, didn't matter the age, we'd go around and, you know, one would say, you know, I want to get a, I want to get better at swimming this year, you know. Oh, that's a good idea. And we'd go around and the next one would say, you know, I, I want to get to, I want to start piano or I want to, um, you know, achieve this level of music or um, whatever it was. You know, I want to learn to surf this year or... Um, and then what we would do is we'd go around and each child and adult would say how they were going to help that other child achieve those goals. And so we'd say, okay, well, I can drive you down to the swimming pool. I can book you into some classes. And um, one of the siblings might go, well, you know, well, then what I can help you is I can take you to the beach and see, you know, I can bring you along, you know. And that was really good because it made everyone aware what each other's wants were for the year and then how we could help that other person achieve them. Um, and it, it was a role from that perspective and planning and, you know, or seeing how your year might plan out. And I thought that was just a really sweet way of doing that, but it was all part of planning and everyone was involved in helping others, not just the parents. That's where I, for me, I've always wanted the kids because I was raised that way where everyone can have a role helping that child um, as well as, the parents but it was always under the parents guidance and also just in positive parenting as much as you can so I was more about giving stars and charts and and letting them you know um, see that they had earned stuff so it was not so much about taking away from me um, that was that was a lot rarer it was more about going the consequences that's okay you don't get your reward in seven days it might take you 14 days to get your reward but because they wanted it so much they would really work really hard to try and get it quicker so i worked on that sort of thing with that angle yeah 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 you know so yeah i i think that um you know, and, and again, as you say, the structure of kind of praise and reward, uh, you, you know, we're getting to a degree in our culture where, you know, what we're seeing is people being um, lauded for innate aspects. Uh, my appearance really has nothing to do with me. Um, that's all kind of genetics. Uh, and, you, you know, and, and taking those opportunities to make sure that we're really praising children for the things that are concrete and within their control. I mean, to a, you know, to say to a child, well, you're a really smart kid or you're a really good kid. Now I've got enough conceptual references as an adult to make sense of that. And, and how I make sense of that might be completely different to what you intended. Um, uh, but, but from a, a place where I'm, you know, for, for kids, we're picking those moments, as you say, where they're doing something well and we're saying, I really liked how you sat there and concentrated for 15 whole minutes. That was fantastic. So that the child's able to go, oh, okay, that's what gets me recognition. That's what, rather than, okay, I have nothing against calling children, oh, aren't you a beautiful little child, you know, or something like that. But but if that becomes the, the go-to, um, you know, it, it gets tough later in life if you've traded in solely on your appearance and all of a sudden you get to 
you know, an, an age where nobody's looking anymore <laughs> um, and you haven't bothered to develop the things that are actually in your control. So I, I think starting from an early age where we're, 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 we're catching our children doing something right um, and, you know, goes, goes a long way. So I really like that idea of the kind of more reward-based focus, I think is, and, and, it's, and it does sort of sit more with where our culture's going compared to the days when I was raised um, and the stuff that was done to us, even, even growing up in a, in a, in a private all boys school, um, you, you know, there's things that people did, did in front of everybody that you would go to jail for these days. But, you know, and, and when we were telling stories a while back about some of the, the things that, that happened, the beatings with objects and things like that. Um, and my parents were, were, you know, were very apologetic. We, we never knew any of that went on. And I said, well, but that to us was just normal. We, we wouldn't have even known to, you know, uh, to report any of that. And, and it's, it, you know, things in terms of the parenting paradigm have changed so much in, in, you know, in terms of really parents have to, have to really spend that time to get them to know their children and, and to be able to kind of really, how do I inspire my child rather than drive them from fear um, or shame or guilt? Yeah, exactly. So, so well said. And we're going to have to finish up soon because I'm conscious of the time. So from both of you, any like sort of um, final parting words on parenting life in general? <laughs> Whatever you like. <laughs> you go first, Sean. Uh, okay. I, I guess I'd go back to one of the, 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 the central tenants that's kind of been going through this conversation, which is really just find the time to spend quality time with your kids where you can and, and don't underestimate. You go, oh, well, I've only got five minutes. It's the little things done consistently become big things. You know, if it's a little moment, it's not a little moment to your child. So, so take, take that one minute or that, that two minutes or that five minutes um, as well as the extended time. But, but any moment to, to really be present with your child is just so precious and, and you, you know, from, from someone who had children in their life and, and didn't make the most of that and, and, and the consequences of that, I, I can't offer that any more strongly, especially from my perspective to men, um, you know, spend the time, find the time. It, it is, you know, it is just so vital and so worth it. That, that would be probably the thing I'd, I'd leave off on. Mm. I think with me, um something like from a brain development point of view, um, it's really important, especially in the early teenage years that we discipline our children, but we learn to discipline them. So that's where it's an art to, to know how to discipline um, because the outcome is what is important. It's not the win and it's not the overpowering and don't you talk to me like that. It's you want that child to be able to say no to themselves when it comes, you know, I've got to learn to do what needs to be done instead of just what I want to do right now. You don't want to encourage that hedonistic sort of personality or character disorders. You want them to actually go, actually, right now I have to sit down, I have to study because long term, this is going to help me and I'm going to be balanced. I'll, I'll be able to say no to my friend now because tomorrow I've got an exam, but hey, how about tomorrow afternoon? It's not an all or nothing. It's I'm learning how to juggle my life so that I can prioritize. And so often what I did with my kids anyway, and I do suggest with patients, is, is things like learning an instrument. Um, all my kids play an instrument. I did it more not because I wanted them to be pianists and violinists, but so that, it, you know, 10 minutes of practice every day, 
that discipline of just keeping consistently doing something that is only very, you can't see a major, you're not playing, playing a concerto um, or, a, um, you know, a straight away a piece, you know, not playing a difficult piece straight away, but it's that just ch chopping away on those little bits. Eventually you get to see, wow, after a month of just, you know, picking it and, and, and trying to refine and trying to do stuff, look what I can do. And I just have that little bit of discipline, then I go and play. And I have this set aside, I could just, it's only gonna take me 15 minutes, guys. I'm saying no to something for 15 minutes. There is no sense in, in you know, right now at the end of that 15 minutes, it's not gonna make a huge difference in my life that moment. But over time, it will bring so much joy, happiness, that sense of achievement. And I think studies the same. If you can just learn that, you know, at the end of the week, let's just go down. Let's just, you know, have a look at what we learned that week, put that aside and now go and play and have all that enjoyment. And it's just learning that discipline of just chipping away at, you know, doing things that really going to make life easier in the long term. And that's what I've tried to do with my kids. I think that that's really helped what I can see in the long term them having a much, you know, it's easier. I mean, I like to think I'm, I'm pretty, like, all right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, just before we go, Sean, how do people find out more about you and the work you do? Um, so probably the easiest way is the website, emergencetraining.com.au, um, but also uh, the podcast, Sean Healy Tools on iTunes, Podbean and Stitcher. Um, and I've got a little kind of YouTube channel too, which is the Sean Healy, the relationship resourcing series. So if people prefer to watch YouTube clips, I've, I've got a few clips on there as well. And yeah, like I said, I, I like kind of all areas of kind of human performance. So there's bits on business, there's bits on relationships, there's bits on parenting. Um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a generalist by nature. Um, <laughs> I, I kind of, find that, you know, I... I like to kind of move around and I just find human beings stunningly interesting. You know, I just, I just think we've got such a amazingness in us. So um, yeah, that's that, you know, there's a couple of ways in which people can reach me and yeah, certainly happy if people do want to reach out and say hi, or there's things that they want to know about, happy to have a conversation. Well, fantastic. Well, make sure we put the links in our show notes as well. Elizabeth, Sean, thank you so much. It's been really interesting. <laughs> Thanks, Sean. Appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me on. Really delighted. Right. Thank you. See you.